This is the How We RevOps podcast. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm a senior RevOps consultant at GoNimbly. Aligning your go-to-market teams and the tech behind them is easier said than done. And in this podcast, we talk about how we get there. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the How We RevOps podcast. I'm your host, Adam. I'm a senior RevOps consultant here at GoNimbly. And today we're talking about how to be a RevOps leader the first 90 days. I'm very fortunate to have Dana here with us. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, Adam. Thanks so much for having me on your program. I'm Dana Leahy, and I am currently the head of revenue operations and strategy at Zingtree. Awesome. Tell us a little bit more about Zingtree. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, Zingtree, for those of you that don't know, we're shouting to the world who we are. Uh, Certainly, Zingtree is a SaaS startup here in the San Francisco Bay Area. We actually focus on the call center space, and we have a pretty lofty goal of making every call center uh, agent an expert. And to do so, what we're offering is conversational workflow software that should elevate the productivity of your agents so that every one of your agents can actually be its Uh, your best agent. And so to do that, we provide uh, decision trees and workflow that allows them to have the right information at their fingertips, directly integrated with the operational systems that they are already working in day in and day out. And it not only provides them information like some solutions, but we feel a huge differentiator is that it also drives to actionable next steps to solve your customers' problems. And ultimately, we uh, offer the promise to kind of hit those key uh, productivity indicators that most call center operators are very interested in to reduce your average handle time, improve Mm -hmm. your actual agent ramp time, and of course, uh, improve the first call resolution making for your happier customers. So we're very excited about the product market that we found so far with over 700 Mm -hmm. customers in this market space and continuing to grow. That's awesome. You know, I could say as somebody that's taken phone calls myself for an organization, uh, you know, efficiency doesn't just help the agent on the phone. It helps the person calling in because we know when people call in, they want an answer. They want it fast. And if they could have figured it out themselves, they probably already might have. So that is an excellent product. Yeah. And uh, absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say the one thing that we I always like to say, you know, in this industry, that if you have happy agents and happy customers, it will ultimately make for a strong company, right? A lot of times we think of it the other way around of like, how do we do all these things to make for a better company? But the reality is, is if you can have happy agents delivering to make happy customers, all the other things will come out in the wash. So definitely. So let's talk about the fun stuff, i.e. RevOps. (laughs) I know that you've hung out in the RevOps space for a long time. And I'd love to hear more about your point of view around just the evolution of RevOps and kind of how you've seen it come together. I think that could be really interesting because I think it's a new thing for a lot of us. Absolutely. Um, I still to this day am fascinated by when, (laughs) you know, in my social circle, sometimes when I say, oh, what do you do? And you say you're in revenue operations and people look at you with a strange eye, you know, what on earth even is that? Um, because it is such a growing part of our industry in the SaaS marketplace. But for those that aren't always in it, or even for those of us that are, Mm -hmm. um, what does it really mean? Because I do think it can mean so much to different people. But 
you know, without dating myself, if I think of kind of the evolution of software industry, <laughs> really, when I first started, and I actually came from a sales background, when I first started, really, sales always had a business partner that came from the finance organization. Mm-hmm. And that finance partner helped do things like, you know, your budgets and your forecast and keeping on top of uh, that weekly forecasting and roll up financially through the organization. So it kind of had a very specific focus. There may have been ancillary teams that helped you with things like compensation and otherwise. But then I feel as if, you know, we became uh, a a much more evolved organization. Sales operation kind of came into being where there was a whole function around, okay, to enable this robust function of sales, to scale it and to drive more productivity. What do we need? We need more systems to do that. So who manages our CRM platforms and things like that, right? Outside of IT, we want to bring that into the business teams. So you had kind of sales operations people to help you with those systems. And then, you know, as we evolve from saying we're just selling software to actually selling a SaaS solution, you had the concept of moving support organizations or what I call support renewal organizations into customer success organizations. So then you Mm. needed this additional component where you needed operational support around how does that function work. And so slowly but surely, you started to see marketing and sales and customer success all needing their own platforms, solutions, and processes, right? And I think as companies started to not only think about that part of it, they also said, great, we need a leader, like a CRO, a customer uh, revenue officer over all these operational things. We also need something like revenue operations that someone actually is helping us with this function. So to me, it's still a huge evolution, I think, depending on every company and the maturity they are uh, in their own evolution is looking at revenue operations to fix maybe a piece of this. And the highly mature ones really have this function where revenue operations can be that umbrella over everything. I love that. And it makes a lot of sense because it seemed like early on in the the RevOps days, people would be a little critical and say, ah, it's just sales ops rebranded or even IT rebranded. So the way that you explain the evolution, I think, really explains where that comes from. Coming up on the marketing side, it seemed like there was always a use case for sales and marketing and customer success to interact regularly it it seemed like why wouldn't you do that how could you understand what your customer is thinking and feeling if you don't have that alignment right no absolutely and i think that's the that's really the heart of it today when we think of the definition of revenue operations in its current state is exactly that alignment right the alignment across sales marketing and customer success and really matching your internal processes to that customer journey or life cycle right and um I, I do think that in some companies, there's still a, a growth element there. We're not all perfectly aligned at are our internal operations kind of aligned to that customer journey, but that's the ultimate goal. And I think that revenue operations focusing on not only how to make those processes more efficient, but really keeping all departmental components of that accountable to revenue at each step of that process is another key element to um, revenue operations, right? And that's where I think revenue operations goes from not only being this operational piece, but like I said, the strategic piece, right? So how do we collaborate amongst those business leaders across the organization to drive that strategy? And I think that could be a little bit of a painful evolution. So I know (laughs) in 2017, when I first logged into Marketo and had my first serious decisions training on the waterfall and 
it was all MQLs. And shortly thereafter, I started to see my team and other teams say, sorry, we're not looking at MQL volume. We're looking beyond that. And the F-bomb got thrown around, which is fair. People are like, that's <laughs> yeah. not fair. What, right. if peop- what if sales doesn't call that person or they didn't try right. hard enough? And so I think it's, it is a challenging evolution, but it's a necessary one. And I, I, now I kind of think people joke about MQLs as being very passe. So I think, I think we're, we're, we're making some strides here uh, in this RevOps world. Yeah. So I know there's someone out there listening that's listening to this because they're like, I'm about to start a new job. I want to do well. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you see a modern day RevOps leader facing in a new job or maybe a new promotion or they're kind of just standing up RevOps at a company that's finally agreed they sort of need that formal structure to align those teams? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And For me, I think, you know, in its essence, one of the biggest challenges is just the breadth, right? The breadth Mm. of the role crossing all of those, um, you know, departments, if you will, and Mm -hmm. bringing that alignment together. But I think the other piece of it is really getting the organization to decide what importance they're going to put on the revenue operations function, right? Are they going to view it as a tactical function that, Mm -hmm. you know, does manage a system or builds you a report or you know, does certain very tactical elements, or are they going to view the revenue operations focus as a strategic focus for the company that does participate in those key conversations to understand what are the various touch points of that customer journey so that we can help not only take things downstream, but actually Mm -hmm. influence and impact the organization as the decisions are being made. And I do think that's probably one of the biggest challenges for anyone that's going to be in revenue operations is um, helping make sure that revenue operations is viewed in that strategic light. So kind of having a, a place at the table, if you will. And it doesn't happen overnight by any stretch of the imagination unless you just come in being completely married to, say, a CRO or a CEO who's already said, this is a function that is mission critical and strategic to the team. So I always just say that, you know, when you're getting started, it's, building that trust and alignment yourself. So if I'm going to come Mm. into the organization, it is really building that um, relationship with those key leaders. So um, if you are crossover and you don't have kind of that business partner at this one tier, making sure that you're fully aligned with the head of sales, making sure you're really fully aligned with the head of marketing and that you're aligned with that head of customer success, understanding what their challenges are, and then working together to kind of elevate that conversation and you're helping bridge the gap in that conversation really between some of those various leaders within the company. Um, So to me, uh, elevating the job to that level of influence has to just come from building those early on really strong relationships with those departmental leads um, to build that credibility and trust to kind of get your seat at the table. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think something that I've had to learn a hard lesson on as like an early RevOps person was thinking, and and maybe this comes from school where you kind of have to prove things and everything's (laughs) sort of like a grade or a metric. But I remember thinking early on, I'm going to get so much buy-in from sales and CS. So so I'm working in marketing. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to really deliver some great numbers 
And that's going to be my ticket into having a good relationship with these stakeholders. But I've learned the hard way that is not true. And it's extremely right. difficult to form good relationships with the related teams if you wait too long. Um, it's it's kind of interesting when you get a new promotion or you start in a new company, there's this sort of unspoken invitation. You should be having random coffee chats with people. It's not weird. They don't think something's wrong. Um, so it's very critical to you know, to make space for that as you're starting and not just be focused on the numbers. Um, Absolutely. And more important than ever, right, in our virtual world, as we all work, you know, remotely and from our various locations, it's very easy to come in and be like, okay, I have a challenge. I'm going to start building A, B, and C and just get going because we all want to produce something, right? But yeah, really making that space up front, I think, to build those relationships and figure out how you are going to collaborate and work together as opposed to just a push of things out to the, the various groups. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions in terms of like how you would start the conversation or kind of what that looks like? Cause I think people are really pressed for time. And so mm-hmm. does this have to be like a, like a hour long convo or, you know, how would you approach basically the structure of an informational interview like this with, with the related team leader? Right. Um, so again, I, it certainly is going to depend on the size of the company and a lot of these different things, right? Um, of how much time you're going to get with these various leaders. But I would say that you know my number one goal in our kickoff meeting is going to be to understand, um, you know, how you measure success. Hmm. You know, what are those biggest challenges that you're facing? And if you um, if you really did have a wish list for what we could focus on in the first 90 days of working together what would that be? So mm-hmm. that, again, it's not just a matter of coming and saying, here's what I'm going to do. You always mm-hmm. want to have your ideas, but I definitely feel strongly that one thing that's hard to do is to come into an organization in a role like RevOps if it hasn't existed before yeah. and just immediately say, this is the 90-day plan. Because if it's totally off kilt to how they're already operating, it's going to kind of go over like a ton of lead bricks, right? So I think it's really important to understand how they're set up and measuring their success over this next 90 days. You come then with back with the ideas of here's how I can help you achieve that. And by the way, have you thought of this? Um, and then you work together to kind of build out that plan together. But um, that's one thing I would definitely approach the conversation that way is first and foremost, figuring out what are their key objectives for that near term how are they measuring? We're all motivated by however we're measured in success. So mm-hmm. how can we enable that? Yeah, I think that's that's very true. And it also goes back to the fact that change is hard. So if you come in with a rigid 90-day plan, you know, people are going to be very negatively reactive towards that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think change management has existed long before revenue operations. So are there some parallels? Are there some pages from that book that we could borrow um, that would help us approach revenue operations in a better way? Um, I do think you're right. I think that there's a huge element within revenue operations that involves change management. Because again, I feel as if it's typically a new function for companies. So if you're bringing it in, how do you make that effective? Um, Again, I think that the most important thing with change management, like I said already, but was building that trust up front so that when you bring suggestions, um, 
that they know you're bringing it credible, but you have it aligned to, to an end goal that you've already both agreed to. So mm-hmm. it may feel rough that you're suggesting we need to change our approach. But if we've all agreed on kind of the ends, it's mm-hmm. more now we're focusing on how are we changing the path to get there. And it's still not easy, but I, I think that you can't impact the path to get there unless you're really aligned on that we have a common end goal. So yeah. I think that's probably the the key piece to that. Um, and again, I think showing them why the why the change and again, the benefit. I always say like if I go to a salesperson and I say, I need you to change your behavior, I have to show them why that change not only benefits me because I need to get something out of it, but how mm-hmm. it benefits them, which ultimately is going to help them sell more or do more, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think it could be challenging working with different people as well. I think that's the missing piece is we're so focused on the tools and the tech of RevOps, but working with humans. Um, yeah. And it, it could be difficult to align. And I think something I, I heard a little bit about you saying was you don't have to go in with this is the definition of success. You could go in super curious. And I I remember I interviewed for a job one time. They asked me for like a 90-day plan. And I remember being super stuck because it's like, how do you really think about that if you don't aren't already there, aren't able to have a bunch of conversations with different stakeholders to understand what are the priorities, what are the gaps, how do they do things? And it's not just about being an order taker or just aligning or just going with the groove, but you kind of need a baseline of information before you can make any suggestions. Absolutely. I think that if in that exact scenario, if I come in in the first 90 days and I say, um, you know, the number one thing we're going to focus on is um, these three KPIs. And let's just say that's, you know, net revenue retention is one of them or something like that. But really, at the end of the day, then when you meet with the customer success team, you understand that, quite frankly, the biggest challenge they're dealing with right now is their own implementation. And so they're nowhere near focusing on expansion revenue yet. They really need to focus on you know, time to value, getting their customers up and live and um, driving to just kind of that first year renewal, not necessarily an expansion game yet. And so it seems silly that if you come in and you're going to sound uneducated, if you come in and start talking about like, we're going to drive to this amazing net revenue retention number. And it's like, okay, (laughs) that's great. That might be in our multi-year plan, but really our Mm -hmm. first year plan is we are just going to be looking at true customer logo retention, you know, so it just kind of depends on the evolution of the company. And I think if you go in educated enough about the business, um, and ask the right questions, someone's going to react to you and want to align with you much better than coming in and saying, okay, these are what I always think is the most important. Yeah, it's that it's that balance of coming to the table with some experience, but also being open to, you know, how things might change or evolve or sort of fit together with that specific organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm in my first 90 days. I'm looking for a quick win. And I know that we talked a little bit about deal desks when we were preparing for this episode. Yeah. Is that something that you think is a good quick win? And if so, you know, how would you go about either starting a deal desk at an organization or fine tuning that process? And what might be some other kind of quick, quick wins, tactical things 
that we can sort of start thinking about? Absolutely. Deal desks are something that are near and dear to my heart. Um, so for, for anyone listening that's just like, okay, deal desk, I mean, I think most people know conceptually, but essentially when I define a deal desk, I am really thinking about um, the fact that we're standardizing your quoting and contracting process, right? And that's everything from literally making sure that there's, and again, depending on where this you are is in the your really, startup. This is like the really fun creative part of the sale, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I laugh. Some people would think the deal desk in some ways, though, on the other hand, is like the police state, right? It's like the saying what you can, <laughs> you can't do sort of a thing, right? So, I mean, I do think that making sure that there's a clear strategy on, you know, you have a price list. What is that exact strategy? What is your exact licensing metrics? What are your, um, you know, really critical terms and conditions of doing business? Mm -hmm. And then within that, understanding what what are those flexible levers and having a very clear and outlined um, kind of approval matrix about if we want to use any of the levers of how we can get business done, who within the organization needs to approve that? Which group does that impact? And therefore, who has kind of oversight and approval authority over that? And, And then having all of that information really clearly documented and standardized. And then the review of that comes through the deal desk, right? So your sales team, whether you're starting with one or two folks, or ultimately you're growing that, you know, to hundreds of sales folks, whatever that is. But there's a process where if it's totally standard, it can go out the door maybe without anybody's review. But anytime they start to go outside of those lever points, it's coming through, flowing through that deal desk for review, oversight. It's going back out to the customer And then the other really critical piece of it is through the negotiation process, you're that partner. You're helping them understand if there is issues going back and forth with the customer, that the customer can only do business a certain way, we can only do business a certain way. Managing those inflection points is really important. Mm -hmm. And then on the backside of it, it's making sure that once we get the deals done, that deal desk also takes in all that information And make sure that it is processed through your systems correctly. Because again, this is where and why I think there's such huge wins. Even if in the first part you don't have perfect standardization, it's on the back end when your deals and your contracts are coming back through as a company. If you don't have an extremely standardized way that you're booking, processing, and managing those orders, Mm -hmm. um, everything else that we kind of do that people might immediately think about RevOps is the reporting and the numbers game that's going to come out of it. That's the huge quick win is really getting that standardized so that when I say a dollar of ARR, that 100% every system you're pulling that out of looks at it the same, right? Um, And and it sounds so fundamental and basic, but every single company I've ever started with has had a problem with this. You know, they it's you're starting with that, you know, maybe some one person's counting it as over a five-year contract, a straight-lined ARR. Someone else is counting it as it's a ramped ARR because in year one, they buy a certain amount and over the five-year contract, you know, it scales. So getting a one clear definition and making sure that we're all reporting it the same way. So it's a long-winded answer. I'm sorry for that. But no, it's great. It's- I think uh, Deal Desk, like I said, is, is definitely in your first 90 days something to dive into and really understand the process of, again, how it's working today, where there's bottlenecks, how you can improve it, and then really getting agreement on the definition of that booking process and and counting the you know counting the dollars at the end of the day that we're all looking at it the same way. I think too, just with my experience in marketing, 
it's a great, it's a quick win as a, as a marketing leader to tap into that matrix and use that as one of their sources of truth because it's easy to get caught up with what the marketing team's historically done. Or if you're talking to a sales leader or a few people on sales, you might get some biased information on what they view as their ICP um, or their, you know, their ideal customer. And I think that deal desk is like a source of truth. And there might even be an, another quick win, even if you're not, uh, you know, a sales leader and maybe you're a rising marketing leader, maybe you want to contribute to those definitions or be responsible responsible for the upkeep of the matrix to make sure it's reflective of what's really going on with the organization. Absolutely. I think that that is um, spot on. I mean, we do a ton of collaboration there with marketing at our own company and making sure that we're driving towards um getting that right intelligence for the ICP and interfacing with marketing so that we're going after the right targets to kind of fill the funnel and so forth. Uh, And I do think that it's a a really important exercise that regularly as a company, you're monitoring that, right? So that every quarter month uh, year, obviously, that you are looking at the um, end of the day where you are booking that business and having a clear understanding of what else should we maybe be changing about our strategic direction based on how we're actually doing the business? Not just where we want to target and focus, but what actually now based on that has turned into closed one and importantly, equally importantly, closed loss business. So that whole analysis of looking at the deal structure and how it comes through, um, that would probably be the other really big quick win that I think a lot of people overlook is not just focusing on you win, but really analyzing and looking at where you're losing. Um, you know, you have lead to <clears throat> one deals or lead to one ops. And then obviously once it's an op, you know, the closed one or closed lost and really t- analyzing the whys behind that at each step. Um, because we tend to invest a lot of time and energy on kind of the anything that moves in the market that wants to work with us. But at the end of the day, if we're spending a lot of cycles and time and energy on all areas of that, you know, funnel from marketing sales and success, and they're ultimately not becoming productive, good long-term customers for us, then, you know, we have a little bit of a problem. So Definitely. It's, it's hard to focus on the close loss stuff. It's like, Oh, it's like, we don't, it's like in the no closet. No one wants to talk about no it. No one wants it. It's like the junk drawer. It's like, oh, I'll just put it in there and forget it. But there's exactly. a lot of untapped potential there. To share back to your product team too. That's where actually revenue operations, hmm. not only on the top of the funnel with marketing, but one thing we haven't talked a lot about is that collaboration too with your product. Because if you're not feeding that information of when, why you're winning, but also why you're losing back to product for that part of the evolution, um, that's a huge other missed opportunity, I think. So, I, I certainly think so as well. So I'd like to talk about enablement for a second, because I think that when I've started a new role, I've either seen no enablement, outdated <laughs> enablement, or I guess those would be the two, <laughs> like the two, yeah. the two areas. So, you know, what, where does enablement come in on the first 90 days is like, how can you, how would you approach gaps in enablement and how would you ensure that it's actually used and updated um, by folks? Because I think that's that's a t- one we all struggle with. Yeah, I think that sales enablement is a is a really big, <laughs> a really big issue in a lot of companies. There's no doubt, because I think that as as 
human nature, we're all focused on continuing just to progress and do more with where we are. And so again, I think that kind of full cycle of updating, like you said, maintaining and changing and then retraining gets lost in the mix often. And it depends if you have a, you know, a highly growing company, sometimes it's just hard to keep up with all of the changes. So kind of in Mm -hmm. the documentation of that and making sure again, it's standardized across the organization. Um, I mean, in the first 90 days, if I'm thinking about a new, um, a new person, my question would really be is finding out how, if any, enablement's been addressed to date, right? Because again, Mm -hmm. never make assumptions. The reality is, is that at some companies, there's probably could easily never have been a formal function. So it may just be your head of sales or head of marketing or head of customer success is just really doing one-off training with folks today, right? Um, It's finding out what kind of repository of um, materials they have to enable and onboard those folks. So again, I think there's a lot of cataloging in the first beginning stages of what is in place today. And then um, if it's not in place, I think that starting with the concept of a, a single playbook to understand how do how does that customer journey look today? And so, and again, I would yeah. caution not not making sure that you have it detailed with every permutation and all of the different things, but it's like anything. It's building it out to say, okay, depending on cataloging where you are today and then documenting it to say, okay, we'll have one journey at least to start. And then we can start to permutate for that to say, okay, great. Maybe we have, maybe we go after two different market segments. Therefore, we're going to have a slightly different playbook across this way versus this way. And then I generally like to say that you should have some form of an ongoing sales enablement call, again, in this virtual world that we all live in, Zoom call, whatnot, um, that's repetitive. So in the beginning, it may be that you're going to do that um, weekly or monthly or then quarterly with a sales organization, depending on how I say sales, because typically a lot of that's downstream to the sales, but it's the same for customer success or for marketing and or depending on if you're a smaller organization, joint with all of them in a single call to kind of talk about what those key changes are. I think it all ties back to when you said change management and how do we even do that? I mean, the change management outlining that with that, we're going to enable the teams and then kind of having that continual communication of training calls um, at the right cadence for your organization is going to be key. Yeah, I, I love that. I have to say I'm passionate about creating enablement and you help me remember two things that I've done wrong and I've <laughs> learned. One is ask around. There could be a lot of hidden Google Docs or whatnot somewhere, and you just wasted a ton of time reinventing the wheel when you could have actually just parsed that stuff together. So yeah. definitely ask around. Don't believe any anyone that says it just lives in this one area of your organization. And right. another thing is, is like ask yourself how detailed you need to be. You don't need to have a million screenshots and maybe it's just a, a you know a quick one pager on like this is our focus for 2023 um i will say working in consulting it's super helpful when we um onboard a client and they kind of have like a one pager of like this is our brand this is you know some of our high level goals this is why we did this and it just really speeds up the process of of you know people onboarding into the organization for sure 
Absolutely. I agree. I always say keep it simple to start and you can continue to build on it. But if you build something so massive, it's going to go to your end problem, which you said is it doesn't get updated. (laughs) And I like how you have this like sort of uh, meeting for kind of thinking about it, refreshing it. It sounds almost like a, you know, a cave where it's like, hey, we're going to turn our camera off. We're all going to tackle a section. Is this still relevant? And one of the best ways to find space for that is those weekly standups where there's not always a ton of updates. So it, you really don't need to be there for the 30 minutes. And if, if it's every week, you could probably swap one of those out with something more interactive and engaging um, okay. where it's like enablement review and not just like kind of going through like the statuses of, of the different teams. Yeah, agreed. And one of the things I love to fill into those spaces that makes it relevant and people like is a quick review of key wins and key losses. So yeah. you can... in include in that stand-up, great, here's a quick piece on enablement, something we're changing or we're needing to train on. But even more importantly, let's look at the real world. When you know, Let's have a, uh, a person, you know, whether it's marketing, talk about a key win or sales, talk about a key win or talk about a key loss. Because I think those are the things that then people actually want to come to those sessions and really learn from too. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so one last thing I'd like to talk about is sales compensation. And this is a really tricky one because a, it's hard enough to talk about how much people make, you know, and to make those decisions. But the sales team is truly the revenue driver of the organization. So you don't want to upset them. (laughs) So if you're starting off a new job and somebody says they want to reevaluate sales comp, how would you approach that What are some things that you're thinking about or what are some things that have worked really well for you and that kind of really sensitive conversation? Yeah. Um, Again, great question and something I think that is near and dear to um, anyone who runs a revenue organization's part. Um, And I also, just to clarify, when I think of sales compensation, even though it says sales compensation, I think of kind of commission bonus structures that really, if you think of the RevOps world and I think of you know, key people in marketing, maybe it's because in some organizations, SDRs or BDRs could live as part of marketing versus Mm -hmm. sales. That kind of depends on where they sit. So, but there is an incentive compensation package that goes with that. With sales, there's an incentive compensation. And with customer success, usually there's an incentive compensation, right? So I think that it's really important to kind of keep that thought aligned across the organization too. And that again, you are, um, incenting the right behavior at when um, those revenue touch points are transitioning from, you know, point A to point B to point C mm-hmm. sort of a thing. Um, and at the end of the day, we all know that uh, incentive drives behavior. I, we, are, we are financially motivated people. Most of us are not working because we're doing it altruistically. There is a reason, you know, <laughs> right? People are are here to make, make their money. Um, so figuring out the right levers is is really the focus. The question is, Again, it has to tie back to whatever is an organization you set as those primary near-term goals, because whatever you put as kind of the carrot out there in front of it, people are going to go to this. And I, th- I think this was like really apparent when we've made a big switch in you know software industry of saying that um, potentially we really only care about ARR, let's just say, and we don't necessarily care about you know, one-time services revenue anymore. Well, as soon Mm -hmm. as if you decide as a company that one-time services is not important and you basically take that down out of the comp plan of, you know, I make 10X on a ARR dollar versus 1X on a professional services dollar, 
you're going to very quickly see <laughs> that sales is going to sell the ARR versus the professional services, right? And it depends. Maybe that's not perfect to completely take it out of the equation. So those are some really important questions to ask is, what do we need at this stage of the game for our company to mm. be the most important? Um, and I say, like, again, if I go back to a newer company, if your number one goal really is customer acquisition, you're in the early stages as a company, then typically things like a new logo bonus is really key because mm. it may be that you have some sales reps focused on acquiring smaller dollar. It's a land and expand play. We just need those new customers in the door then it mm -hmm. may be as important to offer them a new logo bonus in that sales compensation plan as it is just a straight dollar for dollar of every ARR you bring in, you get X percent commission rate, right? Mm -hmm. So um, things like that are super important to understand what stage of the game is your company in? What are, again, those critical key company KPIs that you're focused on? And then aligning the incentive package to drive that behavior. So I don't know if that directly answered your question, but certainly that's some of the pieces that I think about. Yeah, I think that that works really well, too. Um, and I've seen some success, too, with just sort of trying to pilot things. But again, that could be a little sensitive. People feel left out. I think it'll always be one of those things that you kind of need to adjust and reevaluate as you go, just like a marketing campaign, um, because the market changes, what people expect changes, the way we sell changes, the, your company changes. And so you have to kind of be ready to evolve with that. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, you actually made me think of something else is that's why in general, if I look at on an annualized basis, compensation plans, I mm -hmm. think keeping the compensation plan itself fairly simple to those one or two levers. And yeah. then it's really looking at... Um, if I love what you said about piloting things, I'm a big believer of if you want to pilot and see kind of how something would impact how people do it. Again, this all depends on your sales cycle length and you can't try things too short. If you have a really long sales cycle, because you know, everything you have to give enough time to let it play out. But if con conceptually say you have a shorter sales cycle, you can try things with a spiff and it can be over and above the kind of stated compensation plan, but it might be that, you know, marketing really wants us to focus this quarter on this particular area of ICP, and they're going to make all of their marketing efforts and, um, you know, uh, high level targeted campaigns on this particular market. And therefore, we want to just see if we go all out, how many meetings we can secure in that space. And then obviously what our, our particular win rate is going to be in that space. So it may be that just for every single new logo, say within a particular market segment, that there's a spiff for the quarter, yeah. right? Or things like that. So I think it's also a really important thing for um, folks to remember is that the base plan is, is the consistent piece. That's what you really want to align to your really big top level goals. But mm -hmm. you can always play with spiffs in a shorter time intervals to yeah. drive some very targeted behavior. I love that. That's. I yeah. think that's that creates a lot of room for not feeling like you have to have it completely perfect before trying something because you I know on the marketing side you know we need to tr we try different things so we're like what if we took a word out of the subject line and you kind of need to try it not a bunch of things at once but little things over time is a great way to gain gain that knowledge and insight absolutely absolutely well 
this has been an absolute pleasure. And I know I've learned a ton and I know everybody listening is probably going to learn a ton as well. And I'd like to wrap things up by just kind of summarizing what we went over and saying, hey, thanks for making it this far, everyone. So <laughs> here's some here's some key things in the first 90 days. You want to form as many relationships as possible. You want to focus on the deal desk. Let that be your source of truth. If it seems off, fix it. Dive into closed loss. Don't just focus on you know what an organization's been successful with. There's a lot of hidden helpful information in the closed loss deals as unfun as it might be to sort through that. And yes, we want to align with marketing and customer success and sales, but let's not leave out product teams. And you also want to find that enablement. Don't trust that somebody says it's in one place. Don't reinvent the wheel and keep it a living, breathing thing. And with compensation plans, keep it simple with room for small experimentations to see how the needle is driven. And I'm wondering if I missed anything, Dana. Adam, you did a phenomenal job summarizing. So thank you for doing that. Um, The one thing we didn't talk about that I would love just to put in is one small more plug for for those listening. Because I do think the other part I think that's so difficult about revenue operations is that everybody uh, feels that, you know, they want to automate the world. And they want to basically come to you and say, um, gosh, this should be so easy. Can't you just within the CRM, there are all of these, pro- you know, we have this tech stack, all of these processes and systems are great. Can't you just automate it? And I think that I want to just encourage everyone listening <laughs> to realize that you can say no, that automation is not always the best solution for today. It may be that if we test this out and it works and this is what we want to be happening and it's consistent enough over a period of time in our business, Absolutely. We want to figure out ways to automate and scale and do that. But I think so often um, RevOps, similar to a product organization, gets an intake channel constantly of requests yeah. of like, what can we do with systems? What can we do with systems? How can we improve this? How can we do this better? And you have to know when do you it's okay to say no, that we'll support it and we'll do this, but let's just try it before we invest a lot of time to fundamentally put in all of these um, automated processes. So that was just one more thing I thought I would leave is a little nugget oh, for, I love it. Um, I l- for the RevOps world, because I just think that, you know, <laughs> as we're trying to get more strategic, and then if you really, at the end of the day, end up just behind the scenes, constantly trying to manipulate and manage the systems, you know, on a day-to-day basis, it can be, you can kind of lose that broader focus. So that's one, one last nugget. I would say I agree with that. And here's why <laughs> to succeed, you have to say no That sounds counterintuitive as somebody who's rising up as a young leader, somebody from the Midwest. It's hard to say no. We (laughs) want to say yes. We want to be helpful, but you have to say no. And you can actually build trust when you push back, which is a new thing that I'm kind of figuring out. Um, I think one of the best ways to say no is either say no with options. And that kind of brings the other person into the solution process and makes them aware of how challenging it is to accomplish that. They might kind of do a 180 and say, actually, it's fine. We'll just keep doing it this way. Or you might get more resources. Uh, at the very least, you can. I like to not ever use why and use what or how. It's like super tiny, but it reframes the question and really kind of brings that other person in it. It really disarms people. 
in our our RevOps world that are used to applying pressure to get what they want. Um, So those are some good ways to say no, because I agree, got to say no. Absolutely. Absolutely. And catalog again, keep an intake log of all the requests that you're getting. And then when you meet with those leaders periodically to show them like these are the requests coming in, how would you like me to prioritize those and work together on it? And I think that's the other really great way to do it. It it makes you look a lot better than saying you're really busy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, Well, Dana, thank you so much for your time today. This was super fun. And I hope to chat again sometime soon. Yeah, Adam, thank you so much for having me on again. Hope it was useful for those listening and um, wish everyone in our uh, compadres out there just continued success in RevOps and we'll we'll continue to grow out there in the industry. And uh, I know, I know everyone will have good success. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much.